You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple-making people, good to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the spiritual fight. And somewhere right now today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, ladies and gentlemen, great to have you with us today on our podcast. And uh, we are delighted to come before you. Want to remind you a couple things. First off, this is sponsored by, this podcast sponsored by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where I'm acting as interim president right now, but basically I'm a professor and I've been here for 37 years and love this place, but I love this place for you. I think you're going to love this place once you get to know us better. We got programs for lay people. We got a college. We've got a seminary. Uh, you can get master's degrees there, a master's divinity there. You can go to uh, get your doctorate degree here. I mean, so, so many wonderful, great things we got going. I want you to make sure to check it out. Wesley Biblical Seminary. Best way to check it out probably is just to go to the website, wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. All right. Um, a couple other things that you might not know about. I've got something, you know, if you, if you like to do some writing, uh, one of the places you can do that is on a place called Substack. So go check out Substack. And I've got um, something called Freedy's Stub Substack. That's kind of my uh, nickname around here, Freedy. And so check out Freedy's Substack at the Substack page. I think you'll very much enjoy that. And uh, again, we're really excited about what God's doing in our lives, through our lives, uh, with all the books we got posted on Amazon.com. The most recent book is The Doctrine of Good Works. Go check that out. Christianity Today said that's the best doctrine book in the year 2024. So we're very excited about that. Uh, I'm going to start off today, though, saying that the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to look at through the lens of my 5Q discipleship groups. And it's one of the things we promote heavily on this program is it's basically five questions we think you ought to be able to take people through in a small group setting, and it'll be questions that get them to examine scripture, to worship the Lord, to testify their own experience but then to find something that they need to change because of that passage and what God's trying to tell us through that passage. And then, of course, one of the questions we ask is, how can we pray? According to this passage, how can we pray one for another? So I love to do 5Q groups. I do you know three, four, five of them a week. And a couple of them I've been doing for over 10 years. Uh, I meet with uh, some pastors groups on Monday and Friday. Just love it. But my one of my favorite things to do is say, okay, what am I preaching on on Sunday? And if I can know that passage, and I don't always know that passage a week prior to when I preach, but if I can know that passage a week before, I love to run that passage through all my 5Q groups. And at the end, I've done my sermon preparation. I mean, because we've looked at it in different groups from different angles. Some of those angles happen to be international. Some of those angles happen to be with various uh, you know, male and female looking at the looking at the data, uh, different ages of people. So it's it's just a wonderful way to prepare to preach. 
This week, we covered Mark chapter 8. And uh, Mark 8 um, is, a, is a great passage. I'll just read it to you a little bit of a time here so that we can cover it together. But just some of the insights that my 5Q groups shared with me this week are just utterly outstanding. And I'm very excited about what I'm going to be able to share with you here today. Uh, Mark 8, 31 and following says this. Then he began to teach them uh, that it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but about man's concerns. So I'm going to read the paragraph after that here too in just a moment, but let's just cover a few things in this paragraph. It would have been very interesting for Peter and the rest of the 12 to hear Jesus say, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. Then I'm going to rise. And of course, out of that list, three of those things are extremely negative. And they would have heard that. And it says here that, um, that Peter rebuked him. Now, it may be that Peter went up to him and put a finger in his face, uh, in the face of, of Jesus, and was very stern with him. I really doubt that. Uh, one, one of my friends this morning said, I, when I see that, I can tell you what I, I, I see. I see uh, Peter as basically a, a Southern guy, Southern redneck guy. He says, hey, Jesus, that ain't happening. I conceal carry. <laughs> I got I got me a gun. That ain't happening. You don't have to worry about suffering. No, sir. Not as long as I'm around. You don't have to be rejected. It ain't going to happen. Not when I'm around. And killed? Not even a chance. No way, Jesus. Peter is here, and I'm ready. I got me a gun. <laughs> and I thought, that's that maybe the best way of all to describe this. It's not so much a rebuke as in there's a finger in my face and Jesus, you're just wrong. It's trying to be encouraging saying, no, 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 Jesus. No, you're Messiah. Messiah doesn't suffer. You're Messiah. Messiah won't be rejected. You're Messiah. Messiah's not going to be killed. Not that way anyway. No, no, Jesus, this isn't going to happen. And I think every one of us get that because we've all had friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors who come up to us and said something that's a little bit negative. And what do we, our first impulse is not to say, yeah, no kidding. It is that negative. No, we, we want to jump in and say, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, it's not that bad for you. You're going to be okay. We want to encourage them. And I think that's what Peter's kind of doing here. He wants to say, no, you're not going to suffer. I want to encourage you to know you're not going to suffer. You're not going to be rejected. I'm encouraging you. You're not going to be killed. I'm encouraging you. And Peter says, no, let me rebuke you now, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Now, Satan might need to be capitalized here. In the Greek, it's not. Uh, in fact, there's no capitalizations really in the Greek at the point of the text. And so when it is used, uh, that also can mean adversary. And so he says, get behind me. You are being an adversarial dynamic of my life right now. Stop it. You are not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about man's concerns, probably your concerns. But get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, Satan. And he, he beckons him to basically, through all that, have the mind of Christ. Now, I've got to ask the question of my life. And I think all disciples ought to ask this question of their life. 
am I being, even if I'm trying to be kind, if even if I'm trying to be encouraging, even if I'm worshiping, am I doing so in such a way that is adversarial to the God movement, to God himself, to Jesus, to the Spirit, to, to the Father? Am I being adversarial? And I think to always say, I want to be, I want to make sure I'm working for him, with him. I want to make sure he's being promoted. I want to make sure glory is coming to the name of God here instead of being adversarial. It's a great concern. We all, all ought to have that concern. This last line, however, in this paragraph is powerful. He says, you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And that word in the Greek uh, John Oswalt, who is a tremendous Old Testament scholar and obviously has plenty of great insights into the New Testament as well, says that word in the Greek means a preoccupying perspective. That word thinking in the Greek, your preoccupying perspective, which is a high flutin way to say the backdrop of your mind. Now, everything out there's playing. It's, it's just like a play. If you ever put a play on when you were in high school or junior high, maybe in college, you know that there's something going on out in front of a backdrop. And that backdrop covers colors everything in that scene. And that's the way it is with our thinking. It covers everything. And, and so you got to be wary that your thinking is not God's, but man's. Or it's like this, you have a uh, you have a computer that's running right now. The operating system is the froneo, the thinking, the the, the 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 thing behind the actual scene in front of your face. Or it could be, I just like using worldview. It's your worldview. And what's coming out of your mouth right now sounds like a bad worldview, Peter. In other words, you're trying to prevent something that has to happen for your salvation and the salvation of the world. If it makes no sense to you, well, guess what? Lots of things aren't going to make sense to you in Christian theology and be true nonetheless. You don't need your thoughts here, Peter. You need my thoughts. And the, so the, the thinking of God, the phineo of God, the preoccupying perspective, the backdrop, the operating system of our mind, has it been sanctified? Uh, I, I like to put it this way. Has it been crucified first? Has it been crucified so that uh, your thinking no longer exists, but Christ's thinking in you exists? And that's exactly what needs to happen here. And uh, boy, you talk about challenging discipleship thoughts. There they go. But then here we go, uh, Mark 8, 34 and following. After that, he calls a crowd along with his disciples, and he says to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. For whoever wants to save his life We'll lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Again, powerful stuff. Now, listen, if you ever want to have uh, the wonderful life God has for you down into a nutshell, if you ever want to understand the abundant life in a nutshell, here it is. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. You think, well, 
That doesn't sound like the abundant life to me, but there it is. It is. If you want the abundant life, then what you don't want is your way. You want God's way. Your way will lead to hay, wood, and stubble. Your way will lead to destruction. Your way will lead to horrific dynamics. And if everybody in your culture does their way, then you know chaos, massive chaos, massive cultural chaos will ensue. And you may say we're getting more of that in America today than ever before, and you'd probably be right. But you don't want your way. And furthermore, take up the cross. So what's the cross? Well, I think Jesus took up his cross and died on that cross because he needed to do that for the salvation of the world. His blood needed to flow so that it might wipe away your sins. Something had to happen. The death of Jesus had to happen so that you could be saved. Now, that's his cross. I don't think that's your cross. I think, I think, I think God gives every single one of us a tailor-made cross for our back. And he says, that's the burden I want you to carry. That's the cross I want you to die on. That is the abundant life for you, even when it makes you cry, even when it's painful. Listen, oh, I think a lot of us think, man, no, no, that's not the abundant life. The abundant life is sitting in my easy chair and watching the grandkids play down in front at my feet. That's the abundant life. Now I'm going to say that there's lots of abundance in that, no question about it. But no, that's not all the, the abundant life is about. The abundant life is letting Jesus lay a cause on your back. Some group of people, some nation, uh, some part of town, uh, some issue like the pro-life issue or uh, the, the prison issue. And for me, for years, it has been that pro-life issue. Stood out in front of a clinic for 22 years before Roe v. Wade was overturned. And that was the clinic that was involved in the court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. So that was a cause of mine, um, and, but I don't think it was mine. I think that that's a cause that Jesus laid on my back, but that wasn't the only one. Uh, I think that he laid on my back uh, prisoners, and so I love, I mean, right now, I mean, this, this week I, I go three times to a prison and just love it, but also it makes me cry. Also, it, it hurts me. Also, uh, I am <laughs> recognizing that, uh, there's so many things that aren't getting done that need to get done. And I think the Lord says, I know, Matt, but I want you to keep going. I want you to keep allowing me to work through you in that situation. I think theological education has been something he's definitely called me to, and that's why I'm coming to you from Wesley Biblical Seminary today. But at the end of the day, he wants you to get down in a cause for the kingdom, and it's probably going to be a hard and a dark place, a place where needy people reside and spend your life, even die for him there. Now, verse 35 says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. <laughs> I love Fred Craddock uh, for any number of reasons. One of the reasons I love him, he's such a great preacher and has so many great ways of looking at scripture. And one of the things that he articulates is... Uh, this whole thing of, hey, we think when God says something like that, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, that typically what that is, is that, that, that that's a call to a great moment in our life where we'll go out with a great flurry of glory. And Craddock says, maybe, but more likely, it's like a roll of quarters. You think, what? 
what, what, what does that even mean? Roll of quarters. Well, it means this. Most of the thing is going to happen in a great, great moment of glory and a, a, a great flurry of activity. And, and yes, the someday we will die, we'll be martyred, and they'll sing our praises for the rest of human history. More likely, we lose our life by recognizing our life is a roll of quarters. And we give out one quarter at a time to that need, to this need over here, this day, and then we spend a little bit more tomorrow, a little bit more next week, a little bit more next month. And pretty soon, that's our roll of quarters spent in such a way to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. That's, for most of us, what it means to lose your life in a cause that he has called you to, for a cross that is tailor-made for your back. Verse 36 says this, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world? and yet lose his life. Hmm. I'm mindful of, a, to me, the saddest story in all scripture is that of Solomon. Oh my goodness. Given so much. Smartest guy, richest guy in the world. And guess what? <laughs> he wastes it. And after his uh, uh, tenure in office, the whole nation goes into civil war and it's downhill from there for both of the nations. I mean... Horrible stuff, terrible stuff. And it all happened because of Solomon and his disobedience. And so what did he do? He gained the whole world, but he lost his soul in the doing. He lost his soul. He was given so much by grace, by God, and he threw it on the ash heap of biblical history. What a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to have done, but he did it. And God, and guys, that's, that's our choice when that sort of thing gets done. Or we can invest our life and bet our whole life on God. And guess what happens then? Well, what it means is we're not ashamed of him. We're not ashamed of his words. And that's the next verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into this glory of his father with the holy angels. That word ashamed is so incredibly powerful as well you know. We can be into self-preservation or self-denial, and God says, do the denial thing. We can say, let me live the kind of life where I just gain and gain and gain for myself and my family, or you can take up a cross. You can either follow the ways of the world or follow Jesus. But verse 34, if anyone wants to follow, uh, come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. That's what it means to live a life without shame for Jesus. There is a word here that kind of rocks my world a little bit. This adulterous and sinful generation. Now, adulterous is, hey, God's married to us, but we've decided to go off and do things with other lovers. We've decided to go, go, go off and commit adultery on God. Y'all, <laughs> as you might imagine, very dangerous thing to do. But this nuptial metaphor from the Old Testament into the New is so powerful. And whenever you see a word like adulterous, this is what it's talking about. You've gone off and made love with other gods, the God of sports, maybe the God of pets, maybe the God of mammon, money, maybe the God of sexuality or pornography, 
uh, maybe the God of, and you can kind of fill in your own blank with your own life. And the Lord says, let me redeem you from your adultery. Let me redeem you. Let me sanctify you. Let me make you pure so that you can come after me. Deny yourself. Take up that tailor-made cross for your back and follow me. I just love that passage. It's hard, but there's no other way, y'all. There is no other way. All right, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to Life Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Go check out the books on Amazon. Check out Freedy's Substack. And particularly check out that book, The Doctrine of Good Works. Always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life Changing Discipleship today. So love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples. And God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon. <laughs>